Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. In our last podcast, given the fact that what most people consider low risk no longer is, we suggested now might be a good time to revisit the whole concept of risk and reward. And instead, it might be more helpful to think in terms of acceptable and unacceptable risk. Within that context, we offered our thoughts where to invest and the road ahead. But this week, Lori interviewed Jake Spinowitz, head of community at Courtyard.io, an NFT company, to learn more about something neither she nor I know much about, but which down the road, we both might wish we did. Today, we're going to discuss something known as an NFT, or non-fungible token, an evolving space within the world of crypto that's still in the early stages of development. Is it an investment to consider? It may be too soon to say that. But to begin with, the word non-fungible means something that's unique and can't be replaced. Also, while it began to gain momentum in 2017 and 2018, there was a gold rush of sorts in 2021, which corresponded to the all-time highs of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a host of other cryptocurrencies, some of which, like Sam Bankman-Fried's infamous FT token, crashed and burned. So that's something to keep in mind. But what is an NFT? And are they something of value in and of themselves? Or are they merely a representation of something in the real world, like real estate, that's more tangible? And if the former, how and why might they be of use? These are the questions I asked Jake, who humbly deferred to some of the industry's other players and investors who were driving this, while graciously offering us a glimpse into what his firm is doing. He also explained some of the very real risks, including the volatility in price and value, and as with cryptocurrencies themselves, their rapid proliferation, suggesting the likelihood of fakes and the need for buyer beware. One of my first questions, which you alluded to a moment ago, would be why NFTs were invented in the first place. But before answering that, let's consider a few of the nuts and bolts. I do know that within the world of NFTs, it's Ethereum's decentralized open source blockchain that's considered the platform of choice to create and manage them. And other than Bitcoin, which I'll get to in a minute, any other cryptocurrencies are considered second tier at best. Ethereum itself was created in 2013 by Vitalik Buterin as a means of transacting and holding assets without a central authority, which was his primary motivation versus, for example, standard bank transfers or financial service firms like PayPal and Alipay. 
The important thing about Ethereum is there isn't a middleman who intervenes in the transaction between the sender or seller and recipient buyer, causing friction and expense in the process. A blockchain, again, is essentially a database of transactions that's updated and shared across a network of computers each time a new transaction known as a block is entered. But why not, as I suggested earlier, use Bitcoin instead? The differences between Ethereum and Bitcoin are many, I think, but two of the most important are, on the one hand, there's a fixed finite number of Bitcoins that can ever be created, which limits its use and therefore is why its best use cases as a store of value. But Ethereum, on the other hand, is infinitely programmable, meaning you could build apps to do virtually anything, including the creation of what's known as a smart contract. Importantly, once a smart contract is published, it theoretically exists as long as Ethereum does, and not even the author can take it down. So the bottom line is, when it comes to NFTs, you start by exchanging dollars or other fiat currencies into, for example, Ether to buy or sell them. And as with cryptocurrencies themselves, one can hold their NFT in either cold storage, offline on a hard drive, the greatest disadvantage of which is the possibility you might lose it, or as an alternative, an exchange, like Coinbase or Rainbow, in which case it's important to know your exchange is secure, because these platforms aren't insured or backed by any third party, and therefore there may be an increased risk of financial loss. But in the course of our conversation, Jake explained several use cases for NFTs, the most recognizable of which is digital art, by such early pioneers as Tyler Hobbs, who created a block of images resembling Mondrian paintings known as Fidenza, and which reminded me of artists in the 60s and 70s like Peter Max, who sold posters and lithographs of his paintings to generate added income. In reading about this, it seems one of the main objectives of NFTs is to protect the intellectual property of writers and artists whose work is often exploited by big bad corporations who repackage, repurpose, and resell the artist's product in as many different forms as they like without compensating them. By utilizing something called a smart contract, which may not exactly be accurate, since the contracts aren't technically smart, being structured as a set of if-then conditions, nor technically contracts, because they still aren't recognized by governments as legally binding. But the idea is that an artist could program or embed lifetime royalties into their NFT objects. That's right. And it seems Buterin has since regretted using that potentially misleading term, saying a more accurate description might be something like persistent scripts. Nevertheless, the idea, as you said, Barnaby, is to give artists more control over where and how their art is bought and sold. And NFT marketplaces, according to Jake, basically fall into one of three categories. Open marketplaces, where anyone can buy or sell, and minting refers to the process of uniquely publishing your token on the blockchain to make it viable. Closed marketplaces, where artists must apply to join and the marketplace itself usually undertakes the minting process, and proprietary marketplaces, which sell NFTs trademarked or copyrighted by the company operating it. One example of an open marketplace is called OpenSea, which is the largest peer-to-peer -peer platform offering art, music, fashion, 
sports memorabilia, along with other collectibles. But another use case is digital trading cards, which contain unique identification codes that distinguish one from another. They too are one-of-a-kind digital assets that can take the form of a graphic, an audio file, or a video clip. And you can even buy NFT characters, avatars, to play with in the metaverse, championed these days by the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, who bet his company Facebook on it while changing its name to Meta. In any event, this data makes it easy to transfer tokens from one individual to another and to verify ownership. And here's a fun fact. It turns out that Twitter is the most used social platform to display one's NFT, digital art or profile, like a status symbol. I do suppose digital art isn't much different than, say, a painting. Though I find it difficult to compare something you could only look at online with a Rembrandt or Van Gogh hanging on the wall of, don't I wish, my living room. (laughs) Or a sculpture by Michelangelo lit in an alcove at the end of my hallway. But NFTs are unique things that for what it's worth, a person can buy, hold, and sell, often, it seems, at a profit. So what other things have NFTs been used for, Lori? And why might the technology they use become as I understand it, the new proof of ownership or identity. There is indeed value there. If this can be perfected as a way to securely identify ownership, not just of art, but for land and virtually any other product. In the meantime, it's sort of like when our highway system was being built and banks popped up then to store people's money and gold. As with them, who protected you if the bank was robbed? Remember, there aren't any middlemen or government guarantors, and until things are truly tested through litigation, perhaps, the world of NFTs is a long way from having all the necessary security, authenticity, and storage needed to prove ownership. And for now, it still feels like another form of speculation. There's still much work to be done. Well, I do want to thank Jake for spending his valuable time to help us better understand this world of non-fungible tokens. And given how involved he is in the growth and development of this exciting new area himself, I must say he was extremely patient with me. Thank you, Jake. (laughs) And thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you did, that you'll share it with friends and family so they can enjoy it too. This is Barnaby Levin and Lori Cammie for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced. 
The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.